Hello, this is Mike Van Meter, and welcome to the Recovery is Possible podcast. And I want to thank you for joining me, and you can reach us at our Facebook site, which is also called Recovery is Possible, or our website, which is vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com. And this podcast exists to educate the public about addiction, remove the stigma associated with addiction, and offer help and support to those suffering from addiction. I'd also like to just point out that this episode is brought to you by FHE Health, a substance abuse and mental health treatment center specializing in treatment for first responders' needs, including PTSD, anxiety, and substance use. So take the first steps to a better life today by visiting FHEHealth.com. And so today, I want to bring to you a guest. This is a, a lady that I met through... Dr. Rob Kelly, and uh, a few episodes ago, I interviewed Dr. Rob Kelly, and he's based out of San Antonio, Texas. He is originally from the United Kingdom, and um, he's moved to the United States, and he does a lot of work. Please check out that podcast, because I think that you'll you'll get a lot out of that. But Helen works with Dr. Rob, and she's going to talk a bit more about that. And through that connection, she was connected to me, and um, she contacted me and, and talked about some some issues that are unique um, to folks that have had some brain injuries and uh, strokes and and things that um, uh, have affected them. And that's not really something that I've talked about yet on this podcast. And I was so happy that Helen reached out to me because that is so important to talk about. You know, in in the treatment center that I work at right now, um, we run into patients that have, you know, these, these unique issues. And, uh, Helen has just a, a ton of information to talk about regarding um, brain injuries. But in addition to that, Helen um, has incorporated some uh, aspects to her recovery that we also have not talked about in on this podcast, and that is coaching. Now, for those of just as a reminder, uh, on this program, we talk about a lot of the different programs that are out there to help you, 12-step programs, whether it's AA, NA, GA, SA, all kinds of different programs, to include the, uh, the family programs, Al-Anon, and all of the other Anons that support those programs. But there are a lot of different options, and I have said that on this program, and I always conclude by pointing out there are lots of different ways and different approaches and different uh, things that you can do to support your program. And by the way, you don't have to just be a member of one program. You can be a member of multiple programs, and there's certainly benefit because each one brings its unique characteristics to the recovery effort. But Helen um, is going to be talking to us a bit about that. And Helen is from England. She's from the southwest of England. In fact, she is from Wells, England, and um, I have been to the southwestern part. I don't know that I've been to well. I know I haven't been to Wells, but I have been to uh, Plymouth, and I've been to Portsmouth, and that pretty part uh, of the country. Um, one of the things I remember, Helen, is that it was really luscious and green, very, very green there. Um, but then again, I'd been on a ship for <laughs> six plus months, so I think anything would have looked green to me. But a uh, very charming part of the world. And uh, well, Helen, Helen, thank you for coming on the program. Thank you for having me, Michael. It, yeah, really, really looking forward to talking to you further about my passions. And I guess I should give you a bit more background for your listeners about me. Um, I suffered a major stroke com- coming up to eight years ago. Well, it's seven and a half years now. Completely out the blue no family history or anything like that. Family were told 
absolutely no way I'd make it. And then after I was brought out of my coma, as I was coming around, they were warned that best case scenario, I'd be a complete vegetable or have locked in syndrome. So they were braced for that and with a lot of hard work and brilliant doctors, I am living independently with my two young children and living a life better than I've ever experienced before. And that's largely down to also getting rid of my addiction which completely flourished and took a very aggressive hold after my stroke because I wanted to numb the whole world out. My marriage had come to an end. My mother had terminal cancer who I was living with and I was, I definitely had a alcohol use disorder prior to my stroke but afterwards it worsened quite dramatically mm. and traumatic brain injuries are very complicated and we all know addiction is very complicated as well and I'm now seeing more and more people within the recovery world that do have other health concerns and I'm in some forum, forums online trying to give some support and hope to others in terms of recovering from a brain injury which is a mammoth mountain to climb in itself but then if you've tried to help yourself with substances we're very fortunate here in the UK that we have good access to doctors and medication as we need it. We don't have health insurance. We pay through our taxes. But um, yeah, it's there for us 24-7, which is, a, from what I've learned, a lot harder and for a lot of people particularly in the States, other countries as well, I'm seeing it. And yeah, people trying to escape through whatever they can find. I've had some very interesting discussions. And to be honest, it's left me feeling quite terrified for a lot of people. Yeah, there's definitely a trend. There's definitely a trend in that that regard. You know, people, instead of pursuing recovery, and, and I know that you and I look at recovery as being abstinence from mood-altering substances, there's been quite the trend to try to find replacement substances. Yep, um, replacing one for the other, as we know, is not very conducive at all. But I think people with disabilities and yes I've made a good enough recovery that I walk aided and occasionally have to use a wheelchair but accessibility and if 
any form of addiction does take hold, we tend to self-isolate. I definitely isolated. It's always had a tendency to do so, having mental health issues all my life as well. And obviously disability comes in many forms, but not just strokes, but even ill health and things. And if addictions have taken off, it's something that I think needs to be addressed. I started off in a 12-step recovery, but then found that I wanted to go a lot deeper. That's my inquisitive mind. And that's when I indeed, as you mentioned, started working with Dr. Rob Kelly Recovery Group. And that has just blown my recovery out of the water. I subsequently trained with him wanting to help others. I now looked to specialise to deal with those who are disabled wanting to create their best life possible as I have done with mine and indeed helping addicts as well and seeing the combination of the two come together is something that I feel I can offer across the world, especially working remotely as mm. I'm able to do so. So when you, your stroke that you had, and you said that you were struggling with alcohol use disorder before the stroke, correct? Correct. Many a time, my husband and I had extensive discussions about our drinking, but we didn't want to do anything about it. Did you, uh, how much did, in your particular case, if you know the answer to this, uh, how much did your drinking prior contribute to the stroke? Do you know? It didn't. Okay. Um, the blood clot, the initial blood clot, they put down to the contraceptive pill and after extensive investigation it was discovered I had a hole in my heart so the clot passed through this hole and shot straight up into my brain and then I had a further bleed later on okay so which then was not expected so then you had the stroke and then then afterwards um, and you had mentioned that you, you recognize now that you, you were suffering from an alcohol use disorder prior to that. And that's why I was asking that. But then after um, the stroke, which is obviously a traumatic event for you, um, that's when it really accelerated, correct? It did. And I was put on antidepressants. It, they do it automatically in the hospital and the care I was under. And um, obviously the alcohol completely stopped those from working. And I was left as a very anxious, depressed individual. No hope in life. And it got so bad every time I drank, there was no 
enjoyment. I just wanted to commit suicide. And I think the important lesson there, and it's some, a discussion that I know that I have with a lot of uh, the patients that we work with, is that, um, you know, if, if when you're taking medications uh, for issues like, in your case, you know, depression, um, drinking on top of uh, the medication really negates the positive effects of, the, of that medication. And usually, and I don't know if this was true in your case, but in many cases, you know, people aren't even telling their physicians that they're drinking on top of the medication and so the doctors as they're trying to dial in the correct amount you know um uh, trying to determine how they're going to titrate the medication it's difficult if not impossible for them to do so with well uh, a when i who's came drinking. clean when i came clean with my doctor mm -hmm. my drinking because i'm i was on quite a lot of other medication and they turned around to me and said how are you not dead? Mm. Because of what I was on and drinking on it. Yes, there's warnings on the boxes, but hey, if you want to drink, you ignore those. And as it didn't seem to have any ill effect on me directly, um, I kind of ignored the warnings and just carried on. Yeah, yeah, very, very typical. Very t it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing what we can take and not kill ourselves, isn't it? It's amazing. Yeah, they were just completely baffled that I was still living and breathing and miraculously not killed myself in the process. Well, at some point, so what was the turnaround there? So you're on medication for depression. You'd had the stroke and you're, you're drinking on that, but... Um, so what what was the realization there? What was sort of the uh, the pivotal moment where you said, okay, I need to stop doing this and, and go in a different direction? It was the realization that every time I drank, I wanted to kill myself. It was like, hang on, this isn't right. Um, actually, I, I do have carers that come and help me around the house and with certain parts of my living. And one of them actually just sort of casually said to me, because we we're getting the rubbish ready for collection the next day, and she staggered with my recycling of bottles. And she said, do you think you've got a drinking problem? And I was like, no, don't be so stupid. I only have a few bottles a night. It could be worse. And I knew someone, a friend of mine, she was in recovery and I just called her up and said, Caroline, do you think I'm an alcoholic? And she said, I can't answer that question for you. And she said, go onto this website, do the questionnaire and call me back. I did the questionnaire and I've never felt so excited the fact that I got them all correct. <laughs> you always wanted to do well in school and now you did, right? Yeah. I know exactly. Absolutely. I can relate to that. Yeah. And I immediately just had this relief that, and I was really happy that I was told in black and white, 
you have high probability that you're an alcoholic. I was like, yay, I've got an answer. So I phoned her back and she said, I will come and collect you tomorrow and take you to a meeting with me. Um, just the relief of having an answer. I got stuck straight in and never I, I was very lucky that yes I had my days of all word of temptation but I did treat it like an allergy of not being able to eat nuts for a lot of people or shellfish it was like this stuff's gonna kill me and having two young children and the fact I had survived what I had survived, I was like, this is make or break. So I dug deep, did the work, and I'm now over three years without a slip or that's another thing that I think is yeah it's becoming all too common that relapse is a part of recovery it doesn't have to be part of recovery that at is all. correct yeah it, it certainly does I, not have to be not it does not have to be you know for many of us that is the case but um, that that's a very very good point there it does not have to be uh, but if it is it's not the end of the world and you get right back. You get right back to work if you do. Yeah, I take all my medications as prescribed. And I've done a lot of inner work because I just felt after I, a certain point, that there was just something missing and that's why I dug a lot deeper with the help of my addiction doctor and had to come to terms with stuff I'd never even considered a problem like my childhood and it turned out that yes, I had adverse childhood experiences and early childhood trauma and on further reading I'm completely astounded by transgenerational trauma and looking back over family history all sorts of things are coming out the woodwork unfortunately most of the people now are dead that can answer the a lot of the questions but I find it comforting to know that I'm unraveling as much as possible for not just my own sake, but my children and other members of the family. Hmm. So you said that you walked into a 12-step a meeting and you plugged in right away. I and, did. Yeah. So what it was that experience made, like? It completely made sense. I did feel as though I'd sort of come home. Yeah. Did you, uh, 
for those that may be listening to this podcast that have not experienced that, what what was your first impression? What was what was that experience like? Just walking in, and did you have you know did you have reservations? And um, having gone through the stroke, did you did you feel like that that was going to be a detriment? You know, just that whole experience. What was that like for you? Well, I've kind of got used to people sort of looking at me because I do look fairly young for someone that hobbles around with a walking stick. And because I'm partially paralyzed down one side, I've got enough movement in my hip to sort of balance and use my left leg really as a prop majority of it doesn't actually work other than from the hip but my left arm is very strange but everyone was very warm friendly inviting and I felt complete and utter relief oh so the steps then you you ended up I'm taking it then that you're a proponent of working the 12 steps I did yes went through them i've worked with several sponsees myself and got them through the steps and where i think i was really lucky where a lot of people sort of balk is with the god word and when i was in rehabilitation hospital to work on my speech and my walking and they call it rehab but it it's not the rehab as in addiction rehab mm-hmm. it's rehab and enabling you just get back on your feet after my first walking lesson i was sat on the edge of my bed and this was out in italy and a priest came in to talk to me and i i don't speak italian and i'm certainly never been part of the Catholic Church and I managed to sort of get enough across that I didn't want to speak to him and yeah of course I had a bit of anger and a bit of how could God do this to me Yeah. but then I looked out across the gardens and I thought hang on a minute but I'm still alive. Mm -hmm. There's got to be a reason for that. And I think now I have totally found my reasoning to survive, to be brought through alcoholic recovery and the combination of the two to help others. So that was a big part of your life, reconnecting and finding that purpose in life. Absolutely. Well, as yeah. I said, I lost my marriage. I I have my children, which mean the world to me, but I want to make the best of my life because no matter what, disabled or able-bodied, an addict on the street or an addict in a penthouse apartment we all deserve to have the best life. So I like to say best lives matter. Yeah, yeah. That's really what it comes down to. You know, in recovery, you know what's funny, Helen? 
I get into this discussion quite a bit with, with people. And it's a weekly discussion I have with folks. They're just like, you know, Mike, I just don't, I just don't understand, you know, my life, you know, I'm giving up my drinking or my drugging and, you know, how, like, how are you going to have fun? You know, here in the United States, we just had the Super Bowl this last weekend. So that, as you know, that's like a big event, mm-hmm. a big event here. And, and people just say like, I, I can't, you know, how am I going to watch the Super Bowl without drinking? How am I going to, um, New Year's Eve, what am I going to do? Christmas Eve, what am I going to do? Thanksgiving, what am I going to do? And what I tell people is, you're going to enjoy those holidays. I, for many of us, we don't remember. <laughs> you know, back in your drinking days, you, you probably didn't even remember the Super Bowl. And for some reason, we equate drinking and drugging with fun. And we can't have fun without drinking or drugging. When the reality is that when you get to the point where you're drinking the way that you and I are discussing right now, there's nothing fun about that. No, you know, I wasn't isn't. drinking at the end for fun. Drinking was, trust me, you didn't want to go to the party that I was going to um, and for many others. And that's what I always say to the patients is, if you really think about it, you weren't enjoying yourself. Now, I'm enjoying myself today. I'm living, as you mentioned, Helen, the you're, now you're living life and you're living life at its fullest. I, w- I wasn't living life at the end. Um, was it true for you? Absolutely. I don't think I really lived my life until I had my stroke, if I'm perfectly honest, because it actually made me address so many things coupled with, because I wouldn't have left my husband. And although our marriage was struggling, there is absolutely no way I would have had that reason to leave if it wasn't for my stroke. Mm. So you went through, you ended up working the steps and in the beginning of your recovery, you work in the steps and and life got better. And uh, it sounds like to to you, now I'll, I'll just share with you that I know in my particular case, you know, you work the steps and that gets you on that solid foundation, that solid footing and then as time goes on, you start to look, you start to answer the deeper questions that the steps help you uncover. Now, what I mean by that is, and, and this is just, and I did a whole podcast on this where I talked about the first year working on the physical um, aspects, the damage that you've done to your body. Then the second year, um, really looking at the emotional aspects. The third year, the psychological. And then for the fourth year, the spiritual aspect and discovering, you know, what does spirituality mean to, mean to you? Because it's different for each person. And then the fifth year is you realizing that you have that cycle. And so for many of us, we kind of branch off into other areas and other programs that maybe we hadn't worked before and start exploring different areas. And and for you, I know that that was the case. You started, um, hey, you, you know, you start looking at your spirituality. You know, you, you just mentioned that, you know, having that opening, that experience where you looked out across the courtyard and you realized that you were alive and started um, thinking about those deeper meanings at li- in life. So that led you to um, exploring other areas um, where did that take you in, the, in that exploration and getting after getting that foundation in the 12 steps yeah well I am a firm believer in my higher power who I do choose to call God my children they like to think think more of the religious side but that's never been a part of my life Mm. 
And so we all have our own understandings of God in our house. No one's right, no one's wrong. And it's just having to know that, yeah, there are lots of different gods out there. Just choose one. It's one that you feel happy with. And certainly, I know that not even Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates, yeah, they're bigger than me, but they're not the biggest force out there. No. And so when you... As you were working the steps then, you started looking into other areas and other programs as well and, and started exploring coaching, correct? I did. Well, I I started as soon as I had a, even a couple of months in the rooms. I felt a draw to coaching now sponsorship obviously is very different to coaching but I and I'm always looking to improve my mind and learn things so I started initial training basic training of life coaching and carried that on got more and more involved in it and because I could see that coaching was such an obvious thing to do for me. I used to coach people riding horses so mm. because I used to actually ride for Great Britain a long, long, long time ago as a young rider. So I did coach people and have this natural way of wanting to help people. So what is the difference between a coach and a sponsor? Because a lot of people may have that question. Yeah, sponsorship is very much obviously taking you through the steps and you do form a relationship but Certainly, you wouldn't normally give guidance in other aspects of the life and empowering qualities of a person. You're working very much to a structure of guiding the person and advising, whereas a coach, you're very much looking at all aspects mm. of the life that need to be addressed and to get you in the best footing to lead the best life in recovery so looking at the goals that you're wanting and breaking those down that's really interesting so it is a 
as a coach, you're going to be getting into more the goals and maybe the personal aspects, maybe even relational aspects. Whereas uh, strictly as a sponsor, you're you know taking someone through the steps. You're maybe teaching them about the literature in the program and um, heading, helping teaching, basically teaching about a specific 12-step program. Whereas as a coach, what I'm hearing from you is that it goes much deeper than that into lifestyle, goals, careers, aspirations, things like that. Yes, it's really rebuilding your life as this new person and it works well alongside a sponsor. So you could be in the fellowship and working the steps. Obviously, I have a knowledge of the steps and the process, but I would not give any advice or get involved in that at all. That's very much the sponsor's role. Yeah, and that's a, a question that I always get from people is, you know, which program should I work? And I'm with you. I don't think that there's any problem in in incorporating many different aspects to your recovery. Um, the 12 steps, obviously, solid, solid foundation. And oftentimes, I think, you know, in the very beginning, just so there's not a lot of confusion, um, you know, maybe concentrating on that. Because one of the, one of the things, and, and, this, and I'm going to start incorporating this into the discussion here right now, one of the things about the 12-step programs is the insistence upon abstinence from mood-altering drugs. And that's probably the, the best thing about that is if you've gotten to the point where you end up in a treatment center, if you have health problems, if you um, your career is falling apart, marriage is falling apart, due to your use, due to your use, um, abstinence is, is really where you need to be. That's, that's what I would highly, highly recommend. Some other programs, maybe other programs don't necessarily emphasize that. However, having said that, a lot of the other programs have phenomenal qualities, you know, qualities that can really help you in your recovery. But if you've gotten to the point where you're coming to see me, where I'm at and where I'm working, um, abstinence really, <laughs> that's something you really want to consider when you get to the point where, where I'm talking to you one-on-one. -on -one. Would you agree with that? I would, definitely. So it's people that coming out of a treatment facility and it would just really bed in the work that's been done there and move you to the next level. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it does seem that there's, particularly these days, and, and I can't speak for the United Kingdom, but here in the United States, there's this, this move towards making use of drugs and I'll, I'll just openly talk about marijuana is one not the only one but it's probably the biggest one right now it's the biggest subject um how that can help you in recovery and it can help you as a person there's a big push for that and i think that is such a dangerous dangerous move and that's a such a dangerous thing for for people that have ended up in a treatment facility to, to play around with folks. And, and if you're listening to me, and if you're listening to Helen right now, I, I want you to listen, and I, and I don't back down off of this at all. If you've gotten to the point where you need to go to detox or go to a treatment facility and you come out, and if you start playing around with other drugs, 
you're really, really, A, doing yourself a disservice, but you're really playing with fire on that. And I would highly encourage you to learn to live life happily, substance-free. And as long as, you're, as long as you're searching for a way out and searching for a way to not be in your reality, you're going to continue to have problems, and it will continue to get worse. Do you agree with that, Helen? I totally agree with it. I know many people that have been caught out with it, that they think that they can do, say, smoking marijuana safely, and then it's not long before then, not in all cases, but then they think, well, perhaps I'll be okay with just one beer tonight. And the addiction just takes off again. It does. It does. Um, it's not going to change. It's not going no, to change. And, and the problems are still going to be there. So if you're trying to escape problems that are going in, on in your life, there are plenty of other things that you, you can do to make yourself feel better because nothing will change by having a smoke or having a beer you've got to yeah absolutely be living life on life's terms and one thing that I firmly believe that if something is going drastically wrong in my life, it's going to probably lead me to something better. Hmm. Uh, that's an interesting statement. If something is going drastically wrong in your life, it will lead to something better. Elaborate on that. Because that's an interesting statement. Well, I don't like to constantly go back to my stroke, but yeah, it was absolutely hideous but mm -hmm. it did lead me to a point that made me address so many factors in my life and I'm now in the best place I've ever been isn't that amazing it, how, how things that something that you would think that would just be life-shattering is actually turned and I think the people that aren't in recovery find that to be such a difficult thing to understand. You know, how could something like that so tragic turn into being the thing? Like, you didn't just say it was a good thing. You said it was the best thing that could happen to you. Yeah, everyone thinks I'm a little bit crazy when I say that. But I'm far happier dealing with my hemiplegia than how I was existing before it's opened my mind to so many aspects of life and what to be really grateful for mm. it really puts life in a different perspective it does totally and, and it doesn't have to be a stroke it can be it could no, be any number of, of things. It could, and certainly my choice to recover from my alcoholism, it made me 
really address my childhood. I've battled with mental health issues all my life and it's actually made me open up the truth of who I really am, which for 41 years, I didn't know who I was, but I am now wholeheartedly my absolute truth. And I quite like this person. hated <laughs> myself. I remember even at eight years yeah. old, I'd go to bed just hating myself, crying myself to sleep because I hated myself so much. I had my first suicidal thoughts at eight. I remember standing in the, ki the kitchen one day with a very sharp knife about to slit my wrists. And... Obviously, I didn't. I think the dog threw up on the floor or something that kind of disrupted me. Mm. Well, we are so glad you're here. I mean, and, and you just sound so happy. I am happy. And for those that wonder how they can have a good time sober, you will have the best times. And... Best of all, you will remember it. You won't annoy anyone. You won't wake up thinking, oh, what have I done? <laughs> and have a flashback of doing something absolutely hideous. Or immediately checking your phone. Who did I text? Who did I call? Who am I going to have to apologize to? Mm -hmm. And you have proper, genuine laughter that comes from your soul. You, you really do. You really do. And if people don't understand that. And that's why I, I just laugh at the question. And I don't laugh at the people because I was the same way. But when people say, you know, my life is over. It, it's over. I can't have fun anymore because I can't drink and drug. I can't do those those things. And it is absolutely not true. You know it's not true. I know that it's not true. And and it still just bothers me that people are looking for alternate ways to alter the reality. And it's it's starting to permeate the community. It's starting to permeate the recovery community. In fact, before we came on on the recording here, you were telling me about some uh, conversations about ketamine and, and mushrooms and uh, you know different things uh, where and these are these are in recovery circles that people are having this conversation. Tell us a little bit about that and then give give us your thoughts on the use of of those two substances. It's something that I find absolutely terrifying in the UK. We don't even have medical marijuana. Yes, people buy it off the streets and things, but that's wherever you are in the world but I know in the states it's legal in quite a few counties mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that there are these ketamine clinics but it's just to me like putting a band-aid over something and hoping it's going to miraculously just heal. Yeah, but because when, when you talk about this... The still going to be there. 
Yeah, I, I was going to say I was going to ask you what. So, um, for those that say, "Well, what's what's wrong with this?" If it makes me feel better, why? Because uh, I have had people say, "Mike, I don't understand." If this makes me feel better, if I think that this is helping my recovery, why would you not support it? So, what would if I came to you and said that to you? What would your response to that be? I would like to know what else you have tried to make yourself feel better because there are other ways and look at other tools that you could be equipped with other things that could make you feel better about yourself i've had to personally do a lot of work on my self-esteem self-love and Dear Gratitude, I wrote a book on it. I know it's sort of always a bit of a joke. Oh, I could talk about that all day. I could almost write a book <laughs> on it. Well, I actually did. <laughs> yeah. And that's a book, you said it's a book on self-esteem? On gratitude. Oh, on gratitude, yeah. And that that's, that is so true. You know, being grateful for things. You know, I know that for me, that gratitude, and, and I know that the, the patients that I work with, we, we always talk about that. You know, what are you, it's easy to talk about the things that you're angry about in your life, but what are the things that you're grateful for? And, and people will say, well, I'm not grateful for anything. Well, hold on. I know for me, one of the things I'm grateful for is all the things that could have happened didn't. You know, they didn't. You know, I never got a DUI never got arrested, never lost a job, never, you know, all those different things that, that could happen and, and do happen to many people. But even if you are in that category where you've lost a job, lost a marriage, lost, uh, or maybe got got arrested, um, maybe you could have been arrested more times than you were. Maybe you could have lost more jobs or, uh, you know, the list goes on and on and on. The, the fact is that by the time people get into recovery, whatever situation they have, could have been much worse than it was. Um, but there's a lot of other things to be grateful for. Uh, how about this? You're, you're grateful for being sober today when you and I both know, Helen, that for every person that is sober, there's probably a thousand or more that need to be and need to be in, in the place where that, that sober person is and being grateful for the fact that you, for whatever reason, you are one of those people that, that got sober. Because many, totally. if not most, won't ever get it. Totally. And every day you hear of another person that falls to this awful disease. Yeah. It's amazing. You know, um, I'm reminded, and it's an age-old problem that we haven't solved. Bill Wilson, as you know, is one of the, the co-founders of... Uh, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, and Bill Wilson, yeah. and one of the writings um, that I read, and I don't remember which book it was, but you know, Bill Wilson had been in world. He served in the uh, U.S. Army during the First World War, and um, he, I guess, it was sort of a premonition to come. He he had been shipped over to England, uh, getting ready to go, you know, over over into the fight in World War One, and for some reason he was either passing by uh, a graveyard or was in a graveyard in England. Winchester Cathedral. What's that? 
Winchester Cathedral. Oh, so you know the story about how he he was reading a uh, a um, uh, a gravestone. Um, yeah, and 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 it's it, it was somebody I think from uh, from the seventeen hundreds, and and I think it was someone in the British Army, and they actually had on the headstone that he died from 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 alcohol. <laughs> Are you familiar with that story? Yeah, and that is story is from the big book. Yeah. Oh, it was in the big book. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Kind of a premonition of things to come for Bill Wilson, huh? Yeah. But we've also got to remember that life in general has progressed since the 1930s dramatically. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And with that, recovery has had to change. I'm sure he would be delighted the way that, and this is something that has helped a lot of disabled people, is the use of Zoom in recovery. So for those that can't get out the house easily. That's one of the things that I was very skeptical of, you know, and of course COVID, um, you know, this podcast that you and I are doing right now, you know, a hundred years from now, if somebody stumbles across this and they're listening to this podcast and they're, they're going to say Zoom, you know, video meetings, of course, you know, you have to understand that just in the last two years, this is 2022, and it's just in the last year or so that, that uh, Zoom has taken off. I had never heard of Zoom prior to COVID occurring, and I was very, very leery about it, and um uh, there are some aspects of it that I'm not I'm not thrilled with, and I'll, that's another uh, podcast for another day. Uh, I'll cover what my, the downsides of it are, but there's a lot of plus sides, and one of them is that um, you know you can if you're in a situation where you're maybe um, uh, through your disability injury or whatever you can't make it to a meeting. Hey, you can because you have Zoom. Uh, you can attend meetings all over the world, not just the United States. Although I do that, and twenty four seven, twenty four seven. Yeah. Hey, I I've been to meetings in England. There's a, a meeting in Manchester that uh, that I go to occasionally. Um, it, kind of difficult because of the time change, but you know I've been to the meetings there. Uh, been meeting to uh, all over England actually. Um, uh, you know, other countries, the fact that you and I talk to one another, um, I have, I, I go to specialty meetings, I go to a, a, a meetings specifically for police officers, uh, and these are police officers from all over the United States, that's, that's in Canada, actually, we have some that come in, that would have never been possible prior to COVID and, and Zoom coming along, and so, no. yeah, it's a big, big and change. AA online before was very much just messages, it wasn't even as quick as instant messaging. Yeah, that was odd. Really, yeah. yeah. That was odd because so, you're typing instead of talking, you're typing whatever it is that you're saying into it, and then everybody, and then and then you would type something, and then everybody would respond to it. It was just very awkward in how that would be, how that was. I, you know, I understand that people were trying, but it was just it, it wasn't for me. That was not for me. Well, I think this is a massive step up for it absolutely is and i do hope it does continue well you know um helen so with your coaching tell us a little bit you can close this out with tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now and um why you're doing it and you know if people want to reach out to you how would they do that 
they can contact me now my website is under reconstruction at the moment but my email address is helen at helenbrattonrecovery.coach and I'm always happy to hear from people and happy to chat, arrange a free half hour introduction session to see how I could help you within your recovery quest. And yeah, let's see how we can make your life even better. Absolutely. And uh, for anyone out there that's listening that has um, gone through what Helen's going through in particular, I mean anybody, but uh, if you have suffered a stroke and you, you need someone to talk to about um, life after a stroke and, and being the best you and having the best life, Helen would be a great resource. I, yeah, I would really recommend. Yeah, any disability. Mm -hmm. um, I knew a lady with... MS, for example, and I wish I knew then what I know now that I could have helped her have a much happier existence than she did lastly. Mm. Oh, well, Helen, thank you so much for joining us today. A very interesting conversation and really moving into areas that I've not discussed on, on this program until this time. And I, I want to have you back. Could you come back and join us in the future? I would love to come back and speak to you further. Oh, well, really, really enjoy you uh, being here today. And a lot of really, really good information. And if you have, if you're in the United States and you've not attended uh, a Zoom meeting in England, uh, it, it's always kind of, you know, I always enjoy it because, you know, here in in America, you know, we think, oh, over in the United Kingdom, they speak the same language we do, so everything is the same, and which is absolutely not true. It's very, very different cultures, different ways of doing things. But what is so neat is when I attend Zoom meetings, recovery Zoom meetings in England, um, I just love it because it, it's so similar. Those meetings are similar, but the way people talk, the way that um, just... Uh, that's when I start to realize, you no, know, there are there are differences in the culture, and it's just always fascinating to me to to hear those differences. But then plug it through the prism of a twelve step meeting, and and you know, so it's there's differences, but yet there's so many similarities at the same time, and it's a lot of fun. So if you have not done that, I would highly recommend that that you do. And and because the meetings are everywhere. Do you know where I go? No, I go to New Jersey on a regular basis. New Jersey. I do. Wow. How did you end up in a New Jersey meeting? My sponsor's home meeting. Really? Oh, is she in New Jersey? She is. Wow. Well, I'll have, I have a few other meetings too that I'd like to, to hook up you with, but this is how we network. This is how we network in it this is, community. Yeah. Definitely. And then if you go to, you know, you come to the United States, you, you have people that you, that you know, at least online and, um, you know, and, and those of you in the United States, if you go to Europe, hey, you, you have somebody that you can contact while you're there. It's great. Yeah, well, we're one big happy family, really. <laughs> we are. Well, we are happy now. Yeah, we, we were an unhappy, dysfunctional family before, but we're a happy family now. Well, my blood family, I'm 
unfortunately there is quite a lot of dysfunction there and there has been for many generations well we are here now and we are so happy that you're here and you know and helen and i are just examples of how your life can get better and as i always like to say uh it can't not get better it just <laughs> you stop using it's going to get better no matter not all your problems are going to go away but a heck of a lot of them are no and you'll have other new ones but you'll be able to tackle them with confidence and passion that's absolutely true well thanks again helen we really appreciate it all righty all right well folks this episode has been sponsored by fhe health and according to samsa first responders are 30% more likely to develop behavioral health conditions like PTSD. FHE Health specializes in getting first responders better and cleared for duty. So find out more at FHEHealth.com. So folks, as I'd like to say, I don't represent any group. Although we do talk about groups, as you can see on here, we don't represent them. Um, We just talk about the groups that are out there and want you to get involved in any group that will help you get sober because that's, that's the ultimate goal. So you find your path, work it. We're just giving our opinions, our experiences, and um, just letting you know what we did. So if I've said anything that does not apply to you, or if Helen said something that doesn't apply to you and you don't agree with, then just discard it. But try to take any information that you can use for yourself and um, use that to help others as well, because that's what we do in recovery. We help ourselves along the way. And we help to impart the knowledge we've gained to others as well. So with that, please visit our Facebook page, which is Recovery is Possible, and our website, VanMeterWellnessSolutions.com. Let me know how I'm doing, and let me know if there's a topic that you'd like to hear about, because I'd love to hear from you. So you guys take care of yourselves, and I will see you next time.